I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Okay, today I'm chatting with my friend, Dr. Kate Barrett. Kate is a brilliant woman. Nearly two years ago, she left her position in clinical and academic medicine to jump into the world of entrepreneurship. She started and is building a company called Blue Guide Inc. Today, she is sharing her story, how and when to pivot in your career, and some great health-based knowledge. I love this woman, and I am so excited to share this with you. So today I'm chatting with my dear friend, Dr. Kate Barrett. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And this is a real opportunity to be able to speak with you on this fantastic platform. Yeah. And we've had pretty <laughs> pretty minimal interaction in the, in the last little while. I'm sure we've both been so busy over the holidays and, and the fall's been real busy for, well, I'm sure you as well, but this is pretty unrehearsed and raw and real. But then again, that's not unlike our usual conversations, I suppose. So <laughs> that's the best way to here be. Here we are again. Yeah, exactly. So thank you again. We first met, was that 2014? Jeez, yeah, I was thinking about that, actually. Uh, I think it's been about five or six years. Mm. Yeah, wow. definitely. We met and actually our connection is pretty random. We definitely had the opportunity to meet and spend time together, but mostly through other friends that connected us completely apart from vocation or even independent social interests. But obviously, when we met, there was a lot of things I think that we saw inside each other, definitely things that I saw about you that inspired me so much in terms of your strengths and your sensitivity and your positivity and some of the conversations and connections that we had, obviously, about the past and experiences and you know, showed that you have such an incredible level of understanding in so many different spheres. And I just have really enjoyed our time when we've been able to spend it together. Me too. I wish there was more of it. So for people who aren't familiar with you, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Jeez, I feel like it changes every day right now. Right? <laughs> Who am I and what do I do? <laughs> but I, that's what I wake up now and, and have to remind myself because yeah. it's very different. <laughs> yeah, because you it's, started as a doctor. Yeah, basically, why don't I go back and give you like the skeleton kind of overview of, of, it. Yeah. of my history for, <laughs> for, the, for the audience purposes, you know, for whatever uh, level of interest they have in that. And, and then I can tell you about the who, what, where, and why of, of the now. So looking back, I grew up in a rural Ontario area about two and a half hours outside of Toronto, and it was very quiet. I think I had a great childhood. I mean, I, I don't have anything to compare it to, but I had five horses growing up and was in nature all the time and, and definitely, you know, got, got a lot of um, freedom and space as a, as a child to explore and, and had a lot of interest. I grew up in a, in a musical family. Not a lot of my family was in healthcare, but my parents told me that ever since I was two, 
I had mentioned that I'd, I'd wanted to be a, a doctor. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and so, yeah, you know, I, I had my, my patients and, you know, I, I did a lot of role playing and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, into my teens, I thought about veterinary medicine too, because I mm-hmm. love, love, loved animals and nature and had a huge heart for that. I volunteered for summers at the vet clinic when I wasn't riding and competing and uh, having with my own animals. But uh, that was, that was also a privilege. And then I had thought about these things for so long growing up. And I just wondered, uh, I remember always thinking like, I have no idea how it's all going to happen, but these are are the goals and, and dreams that I hope to somehow get to. When I was 17, I left Prince Edward County, which is where I grew up, and I went out west, and I did my undergraduate degree in biochemistry and got into medical school after three years, and then I went to uh, UBC Medicine, and then for I traveled a little bit and saw kind of medicine from an international point of view. I thought about many different subspecialties. At the end of the day, I was very interested in the biology and medicine and the, and the dynamic changes also that were incorporated in oncology, uh, which is cancer medicine. Mm-hmm. And so that started to kind of lead me down the path where I came back to Toronto to do my residency training in radiation oncology, which is all radiation therapy, radiation treatment for cancer patients. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of interaction throughout residency with all the disciplines to treat cancer, including surgical oncology, medical oncology, delivered all the chemo and hormonal therapies, and then radiation was kind of the component that I was had all my formal training in. And then I was interested in research and new development and technology and always very interested through my medical work overseas as well about systems and how countries are interacting, how data collaboration takes place to enhance cures and new developments and bringing access to patients. And so all of these pieces were kind of floating around in my mind for a long time. I had a lot of curiosity in those areas. I went into research after a residency training. I worked in the U.S. at the University of Washington Medical Center in Seattle for a little while. Then I came back to Toronto, finished up a research project there out of Princess Margaret and took a position to find out kind of how things are working more on the corporate side of us. Ecology. And that was enlightening and interesting to understand what's happening in that realm. And that's when I kind of finally started thinking, you know what, I have these thoughts and dreams of building something that's going to hopefully bridge a gap for the individual patient and, and their access of new developments and, and systems and, and expertise. And so at that point, I felt like it was, you know, finally the time. And I incorporated a company and I've been working at it now full time for the last year and going well. And, you know, there's definitely been challenges, a lot of things to work around, but I'm content carrying on with my company and it's growing and, and I'm really, really excited about that. Mm-hmm. And it's called Blue Guide Inc., correct? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so yeah. what exactly does Blue Guide do? So basically it's an online or virtual resource for patients and their families to be able to contact a provider and have their individual health history and preferences looked at and to get that expert level navigational support in understanding, you know, what they've been diagnosed with, what their cancer diagnosis means and and to put that into context, you know, they come with a lot of questions about their specific 
pathology testing, about other investigations that have taken place. Sometimes they have received all that and are looking at management or therapy questions and they want to know what else is new that's in the process of development for their exact disease pathology and what might be available to them if they were to try to expand their treatment options beyond necessarily what they're looking at uh, where they're at. And just in general to answer a lot of other questions about um, certain genetic tests that might open doors to therapy. Patients are aware of what's going on in kind of the clinical trial setting. They may or may not be, in fact, and they want to know kind of what's happening for their specific disease characteristics, what they would fit into if they were to meet the inclusion exclusion criteria in clinical trials that could be possibilities for them and questions around that. So to put it in a nutshell, it's, it's basically a resource that is built for cancer patients and their family members to be able to access some navigational support to look into expanding their treatment options and how to get access and getting access to those things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. going from working full-time as a doctor to being a full-time entrepreneur, that must have been a huge shift for you. I mean, all of a sudden you've got to learn marketing and sales and, and all those fun things. Yeah. How have you been able to figure it all out? Oh, geez, figure it out. Man, I feel like I'm like still an a quote unquote like entrepreneur. <laughs> I still have to tell myself that, yes, I am an entrepreneur and I started this and I'm doing this. And I'm just like, I still kind of wake up and uh, for the last 15 years of my life, I've been like going into the hospital at seven o'clock in the morning and, and, and seeing sometimes upwards of 300 people in a day and having, wow. you know, inter- yes, tons, tons of interactions and working in that busy hospital setting and also through years and years in academia, having a, you're right, as a tremendous working for a big organization or institutional setting, being surrounded by really the name of the game is routine, structure, repetition, all built on methodology, templates, protocols, hospital. So working in that, going from that to completely kind of turning the atmosphere upside down, going into no routine is a new routine, <laughs> having to be very adaptable and changing with kind of the flow of what you're dealing with that day, bringing new things in all the time in terms of concepts, projects, things from how you envision them at the beginning, because of course your clients kind of sway you in the directions that they are showing where, where they're, they're asking for more support. And so you, you change and you adapt in those ways. And then just kind of navigating. They don't teach you much business or finance in medical school. So mm-hmm. a lot certainly has been a growing process in a lot of ways. And I think I've had an opportunity to rely on some great advisors and, and mentors along the way. I think as an entrepreneur, it's kind of up to you to tap into that and be not afraid to ask for help and to know exactly what you're asking and to be able to communicate that. And, and that's not easy. That's, that's something that's a work in progress for me. You know, there's a certain element also, especially in the beginning where there are these feelings of like, a little bit of loneliness compared to where you have been. You know, you're Mm -hmm. kind of off on your own. You're building something new, maybe something that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. And it does require you to get past those moments where, oh my gosh, this is a challenge. It would be so much easier to go back to like a safety net or safety blanket of of working, you know, for for a corporation or a company. But I think you realign yourself with your purpose and your drive and the goals and the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that that fuel that keeps you pushing forward and having that confidence and, and conviction in, in what you're doing and knowing that, that if you keep going, hopefully you get somewhere. (laughs) I feel like 
if you spending so many years in school and so much energy and time and what made you want to pivot and make this yeah. change? Yeah, I mean, I hope that my skills are skill transferable. I feel like I'm using mm. my, my education in, in what I'm doing in my conversation with patients and colleagues mm. and geneticists and, you know, all of these other areas. Also in the virtual healthcare system, which is changing and, and growing. So I feel like my skills from the past are, are being utilized. It's a little less conventional than I thought, definitely. But to pivot, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you have to tell yourself that you believe in something, you believe it's worth it. What I have to remind myself is, and what I did in the beginning in order to even make this change is that I said to myself, my goal is to have as great of an impact, hopefully even more than I would have in a position otherwise. So Mm -hmm. I think that has definitely been a goal. And that has helped me, you know, you can, you can always go back, right? You can always pivot again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You just also have to not be too, too afraid of failure or realizing that, that mm-hmm. it's not really failure. It's just lessons and it's called life <laughs> and, and that you have the capability and ability to get past and learn from those things and, and use them as tools for the next thing. So, I mean, it's easier said than done in a lot of scenarios and circumstances, but that's the philosophy that I've had to have in a lot of other people that I've talked to 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 move forward. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you are in those areas of the unknown and when you're like, geez, you know, how did I how did I get here? And what were the things that I did? It's hard to explain, really. It's hard to explain all the subliminal and, and conscious efforts and experiences and people that molded you to go a certain mm-hmm. trajectory, especially when you're starting your own company. But I think you remind yourself that you can go from first principles and things are transferable. And if you, yes. if you put yourself out there with the right amount of enthusiasm and belief, and you're guided by those things that you just keep questioning yourself along the way, is this aligned with my purpose and goals? Is this going to be kind to society? Are these, you know, you can draw back to all of these elements that will show you that even if you go a little bit of a wrong direction, you're still in the realm of moving forward. And that those have been, you know, the tactics. I like that that you you can always pivot again, because that's something that so many people don't think that they can change, you know, that this is the way it is, that they're, they're too old or it's too late. And having the ability to pivot is one of the greatest skills that an entrepreneur can have because you need to be able to do it all along as things change, as the world changes. And so I really like that you said, yeah. well, I can always pivot down the road. <laughs> How old are you? Exactly. Oh, 37? Uh, I, I, I am 37. Yes, <laughs> I'm 37. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and I say that because it feels, oh, you know, I oh guess my gosh. That, I know it my, feels my... like there's times when I'm like, feel like I'm way older than that. I know. <laughs> I know it's Times mean. when I feel like, oh my gosh, I yeah. have so much, you know, uh, yeah, my, my so much friend. more to go that I wish I was like 17 again. And, you know, I, I don't know if yeah. you ever met my friend Kirsten, but the other day she was saying, I just realized I'm going to be 40. My yeah. Birthday. Well, <laughs> you know what? This is the most inspiring thing. Too. I, I don't know if I've met Kirsten. And I think that, you know, I don't know where she's, she's at either in terms of her goals and dreams and, and career and things. But I feel like in looking across at women, whether they're entrepreneurs or striving for professional goals, as the case may be, 
I mean, really, women in the age of 40, 50 and beyond are, I think, you know, at, at some of their prime elements of, of accomplishment and empowerment. And I don't know, I, I think for a lot of women that are kind of in their late 30s and 40s, I think that's when things really start to gain a lot of traction for a lot of people mm-hmm. because, yeah, for, for various reasons. But you have obviously been a significant outlier. And I know I've talked a lot about my experience in, in being a new entrepreneur, but I mean, I, I don't even know if I should be speaking when, when you're on the line here um, compared to what you've done. I just... Everybody you know, I, has I, I, a different I, I, story and, you know, everybody has a different angle and a different thought process and a different way of going about things. And it's all it's also valuable yeah. for everyone to learn from one another and everybody else's story. You know, yeah. and it's funny from... People looking in that haven't done it, I think it looks so much harder often than it is. You know, once you get started, it's all thicker. You're you're able to figure it all out. A hundred percent. And I and even when you were kind of reflecting on when I I mentioned the concept of you can always pivot, you can always change tack. You can just hear that you might have actually done that a couple of times in your past too. Hundred (laughs) percent. And obviously, you just continue to be successful and to grow, and so. I think that that's really interesting. And another key point that you just said too, you know, being able to, to just get started. I mean, you can think about mm-hmm. things for a really long time and, and there's a certain amount where you, you have to prepare for things, but sometimes you just have to do it. You just have to go for it and not be afraid and not be afraid of, of what people might think and, and putting yourself in those positions where you are making, trying to make a difference and come what may kind of thing. Um, I think if you're doing something, you know, that you enjoy and that's beneficial for the world, you can't really go wrong. You know, when I start something new, I'm always like, you know, at at the worst case, at least I'll help people or, you know, with my, with my new projects or things like that, or at least the worst case, I'll enjoy doing it for the most part. One thing that I was thinking about that I was going to ask you and I was thinking, you know, what is, what has been the kind of toughest thing that I've had to deal with since I have left? more conventional and traditional roles and kind of gone down this, this route is mm-hmm. I think that a little bit of the loneliness factor too kind of comes into play once in a while. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're used to all those daily multiple interactions and then you're kind of building something on your own and, and a lot of the interactions are done virtually and things, you're not in that busy office setting, especially just yet. And you've got like this, you know, it's for, Forbes kind of speaks to it in, in a few of their articles, this lone wolf factor of kind of these feelings of sometimes getting past that, you know, and you're, you're a bit isolated as a, as an entrepreneur at times, but I wonder if, if you have ever felt that in your career. I mean, you have so many people working with you and for you continually, and, and you've got tons of interaction with social media and you're always teaching and you're always doing interviews and, and all of these things. And I wonder if you ever feel still lonely. I know you've got a lot of projects and ideas all the time and that does take a lot of alone thinking time. And I just wonder how you, what's, what's your way of pushing through that? And if you ever feel that way anymore. I do. I find that what's helped me is my my dogs. (laughs) You know, that I'm obsessed with dogs and I have three dogs and they're with me all day. I usually work from my home office. I don't go to office that often just because I feel like when I'm there, I'm getting pulled in so many directions. Like, you know, I'm being asked this and that when, you know, I want to encourage my team to problem solve on their own. And I just feel like I can't really get stuff done. So I do, for the most part, prefer to be alone. 
And yeah, because I am getting bombarded with with different things quite often. So I like my alone time. Like I love to work on a Sunday when <laughs> nobody's emailing yeah. me, I'm not getting any calls and I can just, you know, go at my own pace and really focus because otherwise, yeah, I, I'm just, uh, my brain is all over the place. I've got a million tabs open, mm-hmm. too much, but mm-hmm. no, I haven't really felt too alone. Maybe it's because I've been doing it now for so long. When I started, I was just so happy to not be working for someone else. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. I, never, I never really had a job that I loved before. So, you know, if I was, I'm sure I would have felt that. But yeah, I am because I think I, I was always so surrounded by a lot of people. But my biggest struggle yeah. was hiring, and it still is, hiring the right team members, dealing with different personalities yeah. and things like that, and having people that you trust and share the visions. And Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I brought a few people on board and I'm looking at bringing others on board as we continue to expand and, and grow right now. It, but yeah, I can imagine how that's quite difficult because you have a certain vision of quality and, and, and what what you want to create and making sure that people are all aligned with, with the vision. But it's also really important to be open to others ideas mm-hmm. and others, sure. other personalities coming in that yeah, you may not think, but they're they enhancing the whole you don't mm-hmm. want to have people that are yeah. just like you and think this the same. So you need yeah. a balance. Mm-hmm. Did you have a partner when you started? No, I didn't. Did I basically, take- it's almost been like a bit of a beta and pilot this past year wow. to see if this is going to even. So I've been doing everything, <laughs> everything myself and it's been going well. And I, you know, I have, uh, I've got an accountant now and I have someone now doing kind of like public relations and uh, gathering more and more client reviews and things. So I'm developing a website and creating a new patient app. And I do kind of have partnerships with a few other of the private healthcare corporations in Toronto, uh, both virtual and institutional. And so that's a little bit of kind of working and cross collaboration, but for the most part, my company so far. So, so I have yet to to cross those lines in terms of hiring others, and and hopefully that's did, in the can I ask you did for you, our future? Did you take on investors? I didn't. So so far, it's been a little no. It's bootstrapped completely, and I think I felt pretty confident in doing that it, this way. Again, it kind of was a little bit of a started out as a pilot that just kept going and. I kept learning about the different elements that you needed to do in terms of the payment structure, invoicing, accounting, uh, expenses, you know, building of, uh, you know, the technology and all of these different things and just learning the ropes myself and what we were offering to to clients, you know, making sure that clients were receiving really quality uh, product for all of these things. So it, it was always kind of a bit of a pilot until probably about, five or six months ago when I thought, you know what, this is going to be a full-time thing. I have to Mm. continue doing this. Um, You know, it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. Even at that point, I was like you, I I kind of really enjoyed everything that encompasses being an entrepreneur, everything that's Mm -hmm. kind of exciting and rewarding about creating something that hasn't Mm -hmm. really been done by anyone else filling that kind of baby that that need and yeah exactly and the freedom and flexibility that goes along with Mm -hmm. it as well is Mm -hmm. is you know (laughs) an advantage that is difficult to describe until you're there and you're realizing it and you know even when it is a little bit tough at times I think I work in an industry where the clients that I have and the battles that they go through every day it doesn't even hold a stick to the battles both physical and mental that they're dealing with and the opportunity to be able to help mm-hmm. and bring them somewhere, hopefully through that. And it's rewarding in, in its own way in that aspect to be able to, to really try and help people. At, at yeah, because you moments. can 
literally helped save people's lives. Well, hopefully. I mean, that's always the goal in some way, big or small. I mean, cancer is a big battle. Fortunately, there is a lot changing. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. We certainly do not have nearly enough cures. It's Hmm. requiring a lot of of efforts in research and development. And hopefully, you know, and those things are happening. It's just now understanding where big data and technology is playing a role in technology, not only in imaging systems and surgical tools and, you know, radiation technology and, and, and genetic testing with our sequencing capabilities and whole exome sequencing and all the things that we've been able to learn about cancer tumor biology and how to try and, and control these things and eradicate mm. them, but also how new things can also be utilized to integrate a lot of this and, and expedite research results and Mm -hmm. outcomes for patients and use artificial intelligence and things to be able to optimize what is actually known about a a particular person in their health context with with their given disease characteristics and bring them to the right medications in in this whole new era of precision medicine and personalized oncology Mm -hmm. and using your own immune system to fight targeted factors, etc. Is there a diet component that you ever recommend? Like healing foods, so, that do you think there's a connection between the, the gut and and all those things mm-hmm. and inflammation? And it's a great question. In terms of what's out there in evidence based medicine, there's not a lot of data for particular diets influencing health outcomes. <laughs> of course, we have these guiding principles that you know, eating a low low salt diet, lower fat diet. But then again, we see a lot of things in cancer medicine where there's taste reports that have shown that ketogenic diet is particularly beneficial in relation to to brain tumors. It's not uh, for every patient, but in selected cases, we've seen some changes being made there. There's nothing that is so far, you know, a generalized answer for that question. But you know, I do kind of think individually, I think there's many, many things, many factors that go into influencing your general health. And I, I do think on a, on a day-to-day basis, at least in some small way, I think uh, diet does come in, into play. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, certain factors can stimulate your immune system and strengthen your immune system uh, as well. Your functionality, your day-to-day activities are also influenced by your diet on a daily basis. And these things all kind of can add up and, and make a difference to your capability of, of dealing with disease and illness in sometimes, I think, in big ways. So even if there isn't direct evidence for a direct relation between a particular type of diet and causing increased cure rates for particular diseases, I think that all these things tie in together. And I think every effort that you make to make yourself more healthy in terms of exercise, sleep, nutrition, it can be helpful. I think for the individual person, that's you know, a discussion that you should probably have with a provider, with your family physician or, or nutritionist, or get a lot of questions too about naturopathic medications, how that would interact, especially mm-hmm. for patients on chemotherapy as well, or, or patients that are looking to something alternative and lots of inquiries around things that aren't necessarily evidence-based just because they aren't doesn't mean that they don't possibly have an impact. And I had uh, mm-hmm. I had interviewed somebody recently and she had an inoperable brain tumor. She ended up moving to like the rainforest and opting to do nutritional-based medicine. She didn't do any chemo or anything like that. She did high doses of CBD and, and like intravenous 
mm-hmm. vitamins and things like that. And she's been in remission since April, I think, of last year. And wow. so, yeah, what would you what would you think of that? Well, I think that's remarkable. I mean, first of all, that's amazing. And I'm so thrilled for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like she was empowered to go a different route and felt a lot of confidence in that and has been sounds like she's been very vigilant about the therapy that she's chosen those roads that she's gone is down there and she's evidence around so that's amazing. the cbd and, and any effects on cancer well we do know that there have been trials i think it's just starting to get more commonly used in hospital settings uh, in mm-hmm. terms of clinical trials um mm-hmm. there's a few reasons around why it's taken time i think it's mostly around the history of how cannabis started more in the recreational industry. Mm -hmm. And that way it's been very, very slow to be tested and tried in Mm -hmm. the more traditional healthcare setting. And so we're still kind of trying to analyze where is the role for CBD. We do know that there is many, many reports that it does affect pain. It does affect uh, sleep, appetite in many beneficial ways, um, even depression. There is a is a component for benefit. I think it is a kind of up to that individual. And I think that there's not a lot of evidence that it's necessarily mm-hmm. prescribed in the cancer setting per se, but these things may, may be coming to light more and more. And we're trying to learn more and more about its role in the cancer setting. And I know that I've asked you this before in the past, but like there are, there's so many things obviously that they say, quote unquote, they say cause cancer. You know, you see something different every day. It seems like on the news and like seeing it firsthand on so many levels and being so involved in it. Is there certain things that you yourself avoid or things that you do? Yeah. I mean, definitely there, there are risk factors out there. I think Smoking has always been a, a big one. The carcinogens are real and can impact mm. and cause mutations and, and free radicals and, and, and mutational changes. And we've seen that, you know, there's also people that have been smoking for decades and, you know, multiple packs a day even and never get mm-hmm. cancer. So mm-hmm. we do know that there's more to the story than just one isolated risk factor, even if it's a huge component. Um, there's been people exposed to environmental and industrial agents that are known carcinogens that have been affected years later or not at all. And I think really so much of it is multifactorial. I think in general, being as healthy as possible and doing things that will strengthen your own immune system and lower your stress levels, I think is probably one of the most proactive things to do. And that that includes eating a healthy diet for the most part. I mean, what does a healthy know, diet look like going, to you? Like, do you eat meat? Well, I know you used to. Um, <laughs> so personally, personally, and what I do for me is, is not necessarily, you know, whatever. Well, see, because, you know, do, like I, I, I always, you know, like when I take my dogs to see the vet, I'm always like, well, what would you do yeah. if this was your dog? Because like, you yeah. see oh, all those things question. firsthand, yeah. you know, I want to yeah. know what the expert would do to their own body or their own pet. <laughs> what, yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what I try and do with my diet. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. And, you know, I think it's fun to try different things once in a while. It's our side, you know, we've got all the, got a world filled with, with wonderful things to try. And it's, you know, you can't be healthy all the time, but you can live by a, a, like a, a 90, 10 or an 80, 20 principle mm-hmm. as the case may be. And, and, and you can stick with those guidelines. And then once in a while, you know, you can have that treat, but I think for the most part, I try to eat a diet that is very vegetable and fruit based. 
that does incorporate lean proteins, I try and stay away from as much packaged and processed foods as possible with minimal amount of ingredients as possible. Clearly, you know, if you know what's going into your body, then you have the ability to be able to analyze if something's not right, you know, or, you know, you, you notice yourself getting sick more often or, you know, you, you want, I'm very analytical, I guess, in that aspect. So I want to make sure that without being too type A, you know, you're generally eating that healthy diet that's going to be supportive to building proteins and being able to recover from exercise and being mentally sharp and, you know, having those omega-3s through fish and eggs and things like that. I'm not saying that, that everyone's got to eat meat either. I think that having a well-balanced Everything in moderation, including moderation, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. a, a key guiding goal. And yeah, that's my deal. I think I try and stay away from as many preservatives. I don't eat a lot of dairy either. I guess that's mm-hmm. my thing. Not only phys- Why is physically, that? I feel. Well, I think I have a bit of an intolerance to a lot of lactose. That was something probably that I started experiencing in my teen years. But otherwise, yeah, but otherwise, I think, you know, and I work at getting calcium through green vegetables and other and fish and other resources. But um, do you take supplements? Probably a little lower dairy. I take a multivitamin. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. no other supplements and no other medication. But, Do you know yeah. what was wild? The The other day I got new headphones actually for the podcast. And when I was paying on the back of the headphones was a cancer warning. And I said to oh, the really? guy, like, there's a cancer warning on these headphones. <laughs> and he's you know, like, he's, well, <laughs> yeah, he said, he's like, it's Bluetooth, like that's standard or whatever. And then I got a microphone, a new microphone cover, and there was a cancer warning on that. I was like, what? Yeah, you'd think, you know, it's really funny because at Christmas time, it's ironic, you know, that these things kind of come to light in clusters, but I was just standing by the microwave and my mom was like, you you know, and I've had obviously background in, in radiation oncology, a bit more extensive than, <laughs> than you know, and, and I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, man, is that really even a thing anymore? I'm like, I thought we'd been so technologically advanced that worrying about radiation from microwaves is like, you know, I would have thought, but these things still come with a warning. And I wonder if it's just kind of hypervigilance from the company or whether Legality this is, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we do, we do still see certain industrial exposures, people in professions that work in nuclear plants, they have to still carry meters that analyze the sieverts and, and kind of the nuclear activity and radiation that they're receiving on a yearly basis, airline pilots and people that are spending a lot of time being exposed to radiation still have to maintain those quotas because there is a bit of a risk there. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go on in our day-to-day lifestyle that are risks that we don't even really know about. And I think that, you know, you could go crazy trying to control and, and, and then you think to yourself, how is that going to negatively impact my level of worry and stress, which is also a huge contributor and, and good stress can be good, but bad stress and the way that it, it plays on your mind and body can sometimes be a huge contributor to disease and sickness and even cancer as we've seen. So what, what can I control? What can I stay within a, within a good zone and not feel like I'm missing out on some of the things or, you know, I'm still being a person that's, that's well balanced, you know, but using that philosophy, everything in moderation, including moderation, what's within my control really, and what's not, and then moving forward and doing the important things of life experiences and relationships and career and, and all these other things what that about make us a happy and living colorful life. Beauty products. Do you go all natural? Oh, geez. When it comes to beauty products, I have to say, 
I've tried several different products uh, mm-hmm. that are on the market. The one thing that I am pretty careful about is deodorant, and I use a completely mm-hmm. organic deodorant. Also for body body cream, stuff that I'm putting on my skin every single day. Again, I go with that philosophy, trying to be as low preservative as possible. Mm-hmm. If there's things that are written that even as a as, as a biochemistry major, I don't understand what it is, then mm-hmm. it really worries me because you know because your body is absorbing a, a certain amount of those products. Exactly, everything that we put into our skin that we want our skin to absorb, well, it it does absorb it, and these things can go into our bloodstream and into our organs, and may or may not be detoxified in the liver, and and the, and, and our cells all have DNA in them that that are um, able to be disrupted by you know these harmful things. But it's just when will that happen, and will it ever happen? Is the question. I think knowing your personal and family history is really important too. And identifying those things that maybe you will be a little bit more further of a risk factor for, and then letting your family physician know, you know, I've had a family history of, of breast cancer or, or there's, there's lung cancer in my family and I'm a smoker, you know, what's the protocol for, for screening or when, what are the symptoms that I should be looking for being proactive in your health and, and just at least ha- not being afraid to ask those questions. Because often people will have these questions and, and won't, won't ask them and will continue to wonder. And I think it's the same, you know, I think people change when they do get a cancer diagnosis. They realize that health is, is now a huge concern. In many ways, we're finding cancers earlier with, with great prognosis and excellent care that can be started immediately and, and people can get past it pretty quick and in intermission. But it certainly is not always the case. And people are struggling to find answers quite quickly and having a ton of questions around how they can optimize their lifestyle and prevent further occurrences or, you know, optimize things through their therapy and management too. So, yeah, I think knowing knowing yourself, what your family history is, if you're able to find that out and being aware of how to properly watch for and not ignoring signs and symptoms when you should get something checked out, not being afraid to ask the questions. Amazing. Well, you are you're such a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you forever and ever. So where can so, people find more information about you and about the company? So I do have a website now. It's uh, www.blueguide.ca. The current website was one that I put up when I initially started about a year and a half ago. And we're currently undergoing remodeling to make it a little bit more patient, engaging, patient-friendly, adding a lot more reviews from clients over the past few months specifically and hopefully making it a little bit more understandable in terms of what we offer to people. So that will all change. But right now, people can get in touch with me through the website. There's a system where you can email directly through the website or um, we have a Facebook page as well. I haven't really done any advertising yet. I've wanted to see how this has developed kind of naturally and through referrals only. And Mm -hmm. so that's how it's grown at this point, which is good because again, so far, I've, I've delegated work to, to other people, but haven't really officially brought others on board. That's the next step. So it's been a bit of a just kind of slow but steady step. But people can contact me through the website or they can, uh, I think the phone number is also on the, on the website. They can phone directly. And every patient I have a, an intro call with, you know, just to find out, you know, is, is there something we can possibly do to help you and before taking next steps and Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Always wonderful to to talk to you. And again, happy to see and speak with you whenever the opportunity 
comes up in the future for sure. I want to say, uh, you know, I can't quantify exactly how much you have influenced me, but it's been large because I was in a world where there aren't any real entrepreneurs in my surroundings to talk to or to find out what it's like. Like, you know, everyone is, is, is in the profession and is, you know, working in the hospital and in the institution setting. And I think becoming friends with you and then just knowing how real you are and how, how much I can identify with parts of you mm-hmm. and, and then seeing, oh my gosh, this person is obviously a, you know, an empire in herself. Yes, she has, such a, <laughs> you know, vampire and, and all these other, uh, these incredible things that I have no idea still how you do what you do, but it's such an inspiration. And I've seen that, well, it, you know, if, if you can do it, maybe I could do something. And that's been a huge inspiration for me. Ah, well, thank you so much. <laughs> 